Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. And tonight, uh, we have another bonus episode that I didn't even know we were doing. So, but we're going to talk about some movies that we've watched uh, over the course of the past week, I guess. And this is the, I guess, probably, Frank? Eh, Maybe there'll be one more. The last kind of bonus episode for the year. We're just filling in the gaps, honestly, between Frank's completion of the quick cage and our next endeavor next year, which we will be announcing, I guess, during our Christmas episode, right? Yeah. So, all right. So I know the one thing we're going to talk about tonight is the just released this past weekend Netflix movie, uh, See, you fucked me up before the podcast, Frank. The Power of the Dog. <laughs> right, because I said the Temple of the Dog. Yeah, <clears throat> The Power of the Dog, which we both watched. So we were going to go ahead and talk about that. And then Frank has a couple movies that I have. I don't think I know that he's watched that he wants to talk about. And then I have a couple movies that I don't think Frank, nah, Frank doesn't know I've watched these um, that I'll talk about. Surprises all around. It. Yeah, it is. Um, everything is a surprise. Podcasts is a surprise. Movies are a surprise. The fact that I've lived this long is a surprise. Like, it's... I always thought you'd live to be like 48. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So you want to start with Power of the Dog? Yeah, we might as well start off. All right. Go ahead then. Um, so for anyone that hasn't seen it, um, pretty amazing. It's listed as a Western drama. I would call it a Western Gothic drama. Um kind of in the same vein in tone to like some Faulkner stuff some Cormac McCarthy stuff maybe even like Flannery O'Connor a little bit just in kind of the the dark the dark undertone sort of um it follows the tale of two brothers who are successful ranchers in is it Montana that they're in is that right or Colorado All, all, all of those places look exactly the same to me so it it is montana though in like the mid-20s um so they have kind of a unspoken but weird relationship where um uh benedict cumberbatch plays uh, phil burbank who's kind of the more traditional um rough and tumble a man's man cowboy who ropes steers and has the respect of all the ranch hands that work for him. Um, Jesse Plemons plays George Burbank, who's much more reserved, um, less interested in kind of the, that kind of like rollicking lifestyle, I guess, of, of a ranch hand. Um, During a cattle drive, they um, drive their cattle into the nearby town um where they meet uh wow, what is her name see i've already i'm so bad at remembering rose uh played by kirsten dunst um and her son peter who's played by cody smith mcphee is that is that That's his name it. yep i think i can never remember his name it always seems fake to me um so george kind of falls in love with um rose um, mostly because, and this is, I think, a testament to Clemens' 
like masterfully understated performance in this role um, as George Burbank. Um, you get the impression that he's tired of number one, his brother's like subtle insults consistently and just their lifestyle and kind of wants something else. And so he sees that escape in Rose. Um, she's a widow, a widower, a widow from a suicide uh, who's also, you know, another brilliant performance by Kirsten Dunst. Um, sad and kind of unfulfilled. Um, her son is awkward and artistic and bright and also not really like a typical character in, you know, what you would consider like the, I guess like the end of Manifest Destiny in the like Untamed West. Um, and the kind of the, I don't know, negative catalyst of all this is the um, Cumberbatch character Phil who sort of antagonizes everyone in different ways um, seemingly for his own mean-spirited amusement a lot of times um, and also out of his uh, seeming distrust of anyone wanting to enter into the um, what you come to find out is pretty massive wealth of their family um, so George and Rose get married Rose moves into the house where she has a very antagonistic relationship with um, Phil. Um, there's some brilliant scenes of just really uncomfortable uh, passive aggressiveness on Phil's part uh, to the point where he eventually drives her to drink um, and she becomes an alcoholic. Um, so not to give too much away about the end of the movie, even though we still, I think, should talk about some of the themes and what I think is like the most brilliant part of this film. Um, but you find out some things about Phil where he's not internally the, the rough practical, you know, traditional ranch hand that he purports to be. Um, and some stuff about the Peter character, the Cody Smith McPhee character where he's got a lot more going than just being this kind of like wilting, um, I don't know, like odd man out really in the scenario um, where Phil develops what I, I hesitate to call it a fatherly relationship because I think there's a lot more to the undertones of that relationship, but outwardly kind of like a mentoring relationship with them. I mean, um, there there's a word that we use in 2021 that's perfect for it, but it spoils a lot of things. Right. Um. And in the end, um, you know, people kind of get their, I don't know if just desserts is right because it's the movie's not so black and white where, I mean, Phil is the antagonist of this movie, but there's so much complexity to that character and Cumberbatch like captures that complexity. I don't know. So there's this like hurt menace under everything that he does that's just like captivating to watch when he's on screen. Um, so the thing that I, we've, we've talked about this a number of times in the podcast, like I love Westerns. Um, it's one of my favorite genres overall. Um, I usually love the settings. I like almost the morality play that happens in the stories of a traditional Western of good versus evil. And um, the fact that there's these anti-heroes and the traditional cowboy who, you know, have this rough exterior and may use kind of underhanded means sometimes, but still have like righteousness at their core. 
um, and villains that can be really complex and you can see kind of the righteousness of their actions even though they use the wrong methods to get it and like I just like a good western can contain so much complexity and commentary on the human condition I think that it's it's just one of my favorite genres as a result so but one of the things with a traditional western is that it's very solid at its core of what masculinity is and even modern westerns um and some of the the really great modern westerns things like the proposition and 310 to yuma um the true grit remake um even stuff like bone tomahawk which is kind of like a hybrid western at their core they're still about a strong man prevailing most of the time over his adversaries or the elements or even if the strong man succumbs there's still a nobility in the sacrifice and it's interesting here to see the reinterpretation of that um that trope kind of in in benedict cumberbatch's character um and i think it's a very bold take on what it means to be masculine and self-identity um again like i i think the kind of exploring this movie on your own and letting the things happen and finding it out on your own is really important um so i would say that you know i i don't want to spoil like the major beats of the plot but i there's several things that happen where in a similar vein to how Brokeback Mountain approached things and how maybe even the, um, what's her name, the Hattie character in True Grit, where it's kind of like a different look at somebody that's in that traditional role. It's, it's similar with Cumberbatch, where you find out things about him personally that kind of call into question everything you've known about him. Um, and things we can talk about that are spoiler-free is he's very dismissive of art, um, he's very dismissive of music. He's very dismissive of feelings and imagination. But then you find that he's actually very much in tune and deeply appreciative of these things. And it really exposes this kind of double life almost that the character has. Um, and in particular, what I mean by that, and then I'll stop and we can, I guess, just talk about it. But you know, like here's a guy that rails against someone playing music, but is an expert banjo player and, you know, can appreciate the art of the craftsmanship of making a, a bull rope or a, a good saddle, but is completely opposed to the artistry behind, you know, the, um, the Peter character making these really intricate um, decorative flowers for his mother um, and who is constantly dismissive of anything like civilized talk or civilized dress but is enthralled by the idea of seeing shapes and images in a mountain range um to the point that it's almost mystical to him so it's it's a really well-written complex character that has you know these multitudes of um just contradictions inside him that make him well, in my opinion one of the more compelling characters uh in the past at least like five or six years um maybe even all the way back to and this is no comparison in terms of like the actual character but uh day lewis's performance in phantom thread mm -hmm. just in terms of like 
like how much you learn from that character, not so much by narrative or exposition, but by um, emotive performance and some small things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Th- this is without a doubt to me. I th- going into this, <clears throat> I don't know if I ever thought of Cumberbatch as a good, a great actor. I think that he was fantastic as Holmes. I thought that he is good as Doctor Strange, but I never really knew if I could ever see him not as Benedict Cumberbatch. And this changed my mind on that, that he can put himself into a character and embody that character and make me see someone that is not... Because I I saw Doctor Strange and I thought Sherlock Holmes to some degree. Like... There, he's a guy who has such a specific look to him that it was hard for me to see past the previous roles that he's played and not see that actor. The, this this made me forget about him as an actor and see him as this Phil character for the first time. It's a really great performance. You're right, yeah. and it's it's good performances by all the principals in this. I I mentioned last week this at the very end that this was coming out and it's not my type of movie whatsoever this is not something i would seek out necessarily but i saw that jesse plemons was in it and it was like oh right okay i'll watch this because i love him as an actor i think he i think he is on his way to potentially being almost like the new philip seymour hoffman yeah that's a good good comparison and so I'm there because I love that movie. We never talked about it on a podcast and I've already forgotten the name of the movie because it has such like a, to me, kind of banal name that like 10 other things kind of have a similar title, but it's... Oh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I loved that movie last year and I loved his performance in it. <clears throat> so, so I watched it mainly for that reason and yeah, this is a. I was, I was, I was gripped from beginning to end of this movie. Like it, it, it is a. It's a mystery, in so many different ways. But it, it portrays itself as this. It, it's, it portrays itself in the mystery in the sense of what I argue is all movies are mysteries. I, I, I've made the statement a few times. I think before, like talking on the podcast, is like to me, every movie is a mystery to some degree. If you don't read anything about it going in or and let the story unfold to see what is actually happening who the who, who are these characters what is yep. going on and i was taken pretty immediately by okay like what is the strife between these two brothers like why are they obviously at odds with one another what's their backstory with the family and then just like watching that unfold and trying to figure that out and not really getting the pieces delivered to you quickly and you having to kind of just take in information slowly really just draws you into the story. And what you start out with is not what you end up with whatsoever in this movie, right. but it does inform those questions you had at the beginning of the movie, I think. So in that way, 
it has this fantastic through line all building up to really what the last 10 minutes of the movie i would say maybe 15 15 yeah and yeah i mean it's, it's obvious we're not trying to like spoil the ending whatsoever so i'll i'll keep my comments brief about that but I didn't know anything about the novel this is based on. It's, a, it's an older novel. I've, yeah. I, I don't even think I know the guy's, um, the, the writer. I never read anything by him. 1957, I believe. Yeah. I think I just read. And Campion, Jane Campion is the director of this. I don't even think we've mentioned that really. But known for the piano and what, in the cut. And she has another famous one, right? Uh, uh, my Brilliant Career. Yeah right so extremely well directed it might be out of the movies that i've seen of hers probably her best directorial effort in my mind Hmm. and the way she deals with the outdoor spaces the way that she deals with intimacy the way that she frames shots in terms of showing characters internal feelings i think is all extremely well done throughout and i said my brilliant career but i'm an idiot i was thinking of an angel at my table my brilliant career is um we talked about that last year with uh female directors yes I can't remember that director's name and I feel like an asshole, but Angel at My Table is the big campy movie from like early in her career and Portrait gotcha. of a Lady. Oh, right. She That's right. Yeah. Yeah. She she did that Portrait of a Lady. Yeah. And Angel at My Table is a movie that's going to be on a list someday. I fucking love that movie. So that's a spoiler. But yeah. Uh, Gillian? Gillian something? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It was my brilliant career. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't remember her name either. Uh, Makes me feel bad. So, my brilliant career, uh, Armstrong, Gillian Armstrong. Yep, there you go. On HBO Max right now, if you ever want to watch a good movie. We talked about it last year. So, yeah, I was blown away by this movie. I thought it was one of the better things that I've, better recent things that I've seen that would fall under the category of, sure, Western, but I think classical slash like classical movie slash art house film. Sure. Yep. like I, I it it's a it's a really powerful movie and it's definitely worth watching in terms of thematically i have to believe that the reason you make this movie in 2021 or that she wants to make this movie so much is because it deals with those themes of what i think today is toxic masculinity Sure. And what is really going on internally inside of men who, how do I frame this, are trying to portray themselves as something of from a bygone era of this idea of rugged masculinity that is anti professes to be anti-art anti-intellectual and i can't help but feel that she's certainly making a comment 
on modern day society and politics by yeah. making this movie and but and, also and in a way that's it's, it's an upending of ma- toxic masculinity i believe so but in a way that's not and i like i hate this term but it's not a woke making like it, 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 it does it in a way that's it's an exploration yeah the best movies do where it yeah. it leads you down certain trails but it also lets you find things on your own um and to your point her her direction of this movie especially in terms of capturing the landscape is is amazing and again so when i first started and i said like kind of in the vein of things like faulkner and mccarthy and whatever mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know there's other writers from that era it's here's this beautiful landscape and here's darkness underneath it but not in the traditional like murder and whatever like that you would think of as like quote-unquote like true gothic it's more like the banal evil of man and what they can like what man can do to each other right and you you mentioned um the relationship between the brothers so my interpretation of it is i think that i think that phil loves george more than anything else in the world and has never learned to truly express affection for another person and I think that he's seriously hurt, almost like jilted when George chooses to take a bride and when George chooses to distance himself from yeah, having a shot with him and sitting down and having dinner with him. He and, absolutely is, yes. And and, 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 and there's a, and I, I could go further and I think talking about the rationale behind that, but I'd be spoiling, I think, a little bit too much. Right. So another thing, and this is the last thing I really want to talk about, and then I guess we can move on to the other ones, but. And this is something that so as as a viewer, like if you're going to watch this movie, just pay attention to pay attention to the way that Phil's character says people's names and Mm -hmm. what he calls people in the course of the movie. Mm -hmm. And there's a very distinct through line with the people that he calls by their proper names and people that he has nicknames for. And it's really like I've been thinking about this movie a lot today. I think it's really brilliant and incredibly subtle and like kudos to jane campion for not trying to beat you over the head with certain ideas like Mm -hmm. letting these things happen maybe it's not subtle maybe i just feel like it's subtle but it it feels like it's not overtly apparent until you think about it and you're like right like that makes complete sense so yeah no it's subtle it's uh, only because i did read I read a few reviews of this after I like later the night that I watched it and I did read that the novel actually explains the ending clearly which I didn't think needed to be explained I thought it 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 worked better not explaining the ending and lets you right. putting the pieces together so I think there's a hell of a lot more that she held off on probably right and, well, we're also 70 years hence from yeah this novel will be written and you, you look at this man's bibliography um savage and he wrote i mean it's a selected bibliography so i'm sure he wrote more but it was westerns mostly and they all have very simple titles but i'm actually really curious about reading this book at this point because i'd like to see like if those themes are there i mean there's a lot of really bold ideas i think for 1957 when this book came out so 
Um, and if you look him up, he looks like a combination of like Errol Flynn and Burt Lancaster sitting there, That's like funny. with this open throated, like puffy shirt, giving you those eyes at the camera. It's it's really interesting to look at Rotten Tomatoes because the scores are 96% from critics, 64% from audiences. Yeah. And I mean, so uh-huh. I kind of get like I, I kind of get it because and this is maybe this is the double-edged sword of our modern world in terms of streaming, right? So at one point you would have had to seek this movie out probably through some effort, especially if you live in an area like we live by going to an art house theater, mm-hmm. waiting until it released on, you know, DVD or something like it would have taken you time and legitimate effort to find this movie. Mm-hmm. And then what would have happened is there would have been generated Oscar buzz. Cause that'll happen. And then it would have been released in theaters in February and people would have gone to see it. But the audience score for right now, like, and I think the Australian release for this movie was about a month ago. So a month in and a couple weeks into its domestic release, the audience score probably would have been pretty high because it would have been people that genuinely wanted to see this movie going to see it. With streaming, how many things do you watch that you're just like, meh, or that you never would have gone to see in the theater, but it's just there and it's free and it's new? Sure. And it's so easy to hit play. So people know Doctor Strange. You know, they know Mary Jane Parker. They know Jesse Plemons from, you know, Breaking Bad and some other things. Mm -hmm. You see the art of the whatever that they put up, come up with the cowboy. You're like, oh, you know, this is going to be interesting. And you watch it. And I bet there's a whole bunch of people are like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, what is this shit? And either don't finish it or are left like either nonplussed or probably maybe even a little angry by the ending of this movie, or at least like moderate, like maybe slightly confused by what happened. And I think that's always going to lead to a lower audience score. So I think it was something, what did I read? Like 1.9 million people watched this movie in the first like couple days of release, which for an art house film like this is a pretty considerable amount of people. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is it's going to be people that are just killing time, you know, as opposed to people that are genuinely like interested in seeking a movie out. So, yeah, it's hard. I, I, yeah. I've, I've made this argument with certain movies before, and it's like you go through and read what the the audience members and like the negative reviews. And, and there's a theme to it. Like. Cassandra H, for instance, says this movie is not for everyone. It does not hold your hand. You have to pay close attention to subtle things or you'll be lost, you know. And then you have, you know, Roger T, who breaks his very short review up in the chapters as the movie is broken up. One, it's slow and arty with lots of subtle symbolism. It's boring. Who would watch this twice? No gritty scenes, no tension, no likable characters. It's art for art's sake. And then you have Christopher R., who is, this is a campy Western, which in itself isn't a bad thing if you're in the mood for that. For me, the main problem is it starts off slow and you think it's building some kind of climax or conclusion that never comes. The ending is terrible, in my opinion. It's overshadowed by, Benedict is overshadowed by bad filmmaking. If you're into artsy, deep thinking movies, you might like this. 
but I can guarantee you will find it boring. The very people that this movie is about and should be speaking to probably dismiss it because you got to think about it and it's too boring. But I mean, isn't that the way with most? Sure, sure. I'm just saying it's like that's where your negative reviews are coming from is from the Jameses and the Christophers and, you know, like the Bobs of the world. Like, but the funny thing is the Jameses and Christophers and Bobs probably never would have watched this movie otherwise. Sure, sure. Like if it was a theatrical release and then. Agreed you had to pay for it and then eventually it was free somewhere but that was and the like great and, the, and you're right and the great thing about that is you have you have the johns that sit there and like you know and 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 the richards that give it like you know this like that probably would have never watched it and give it this three-star review and actually think about it a little bit and that's is the beauty you're right of like these things streaming now as opposed to being hidden away in the the closest city to you and you might actually have some people watch something because there's it's new and there's nothing else on and maybe you you get people to like see film in a different way by releasing these kind of things to the masses i mean so but those negative reviews are mostly coming from from those types right so anyway so if you're listening to this podcast there's a good chance that you enjoy more esoteric filmmaking and you're interested in like more quote-unquote art house stuff so definitely recommended to check this movie out um i didn't think this it felt over long honestly i never felt like it was plotting or Mm -hmm. dragged out and it's what like a little over two hours so yeah it's like 205 maybe or something like that but and it 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 moves yeah and and it's um well this the tension carries it yeah you're you're pretty invested the entire time yeah in my opinion so i would expect to see some oscar nominations out of this and um be ahead of the curve you know go. yeah like right now like one of the and one of the reasons i had planned on watching this besides Plemons was i did hear a little bit of oscar buzz coming for at least campion like um beforehand forward but so just contextually and i do want to try to watch as many as i can now that we're doing this podcast like i'm back in that mo- that that mind frame again where i would like to watch and we did I did more last year than I have done in a long time, but I would like to watch Oscar nominees so I can have an an opinion. Right. And the ones that Variety are predicting as nominees right now, like basically the shortlist is uh, Brauna movie Belfast, which I have not heard of yet. Yeah, that's um, streaming now on Prime. Well, pay to stream. Pay to stream, okay. On Prime. Power of the Dog, Spielberg's West Side Story, Dune, Oof. Dune, King Richard, Sorkin's Being the Ricardos, P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza. I don't know who directed Tick Tick Boom. I've I guess that's on Netflix right now. I didn't know that. Apparently, Grazer and Howard. Oh, that's the Lynn. Yeah, Lynn Manuel. Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. I do remember that now. You you mentioned it. Uh, Nightmare Alley, which is the Guillermo del Toro's movie that comes out in like another month or so. Oh, it's like next week. Is it? Oh, is that close? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Coda, which I have no idea what that movie is. And The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is Joel Cohen's movie coming out soon. And then 
Don't Look Up, which is that Adam McKay movie with that comes out in a couple weeks on Netflix with uh, Leo and Jennifer Lawrence. The Harder They Fall they have like as a possibility, which you just kind of downed last week. People really like it. I don't know. It would, maybe I don't know anything. Yeah, the Last Duel is listed as a possibility. House of Gucci. Both of those. That's both Ridley Scott, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, House of Gucci, which comes out here soon. So, I mean, there's a number of movies here. Farther down the list, they have, like, The French Dispatch and In the Heights, which has already been out, and I, I didn't watch yet, but I think it's back on HBO. And I'm really surprised that um French Dis- Dispatch kind of just came and went. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, there's one movie I keep hearing about. It's an A24 movie. Have you heard about it, Red Rocket? Yeah, but I don't remember what, and I don't think it's, I saw it. It's that guy um sean baker is his name what was the hell was the name of that movie that he did oh it came out like a couple years ago the florida project do you remember this yes i don't i can't remember if you watched it or not but it was the one like said in the motel in florida where there was like real people apparently is like some of the characters very much like the other movie that you watched that you like so much uh, with uh, Francis McDormand. Oh, No Man Land, yeah. Yeah, it, it was similar in, in, in that vein. But he, uh, it's about this porn star who's extremely unlikable that goes back to his hometown after basically his career is over in Texas. And Simon Rex. Really? You remember Simon Rex? Oh, I remember Simon Rex. Simon Rex is playing this character is this like basically piece of shit that everybody hates and base and, and it I think very much like this campion movie it's uh it, it's set it's set in 2000 November of 2016 I think this movie about this like like toxic dude like former porn star that goes back to like his hometown and everybody fucking hates him and he uses everybody and like like basically burns all these bridges uh, I'm pretty sure there's probably a message there, <laughs> and but apparently, this movie and Rex are getting like these outrageously good reviews um, mm. out of all of it, which is fascinating to hear. I, like I saw Simon Rex's name, and I was like, "Hold on a second, Simon Rex? Like that? Guy? That's pretty funny. Like, yeah." So, <clears throat> so I'm interested in watching that. And A24s distributing that. <clears throat> But uh, and then there's also another A24 Come On, Come On, which I don't know anything about. Oh no, that movie looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm that's it. It's it's um, uh, Jacqueline Phoenix uh, plays. I guess this dude bonding with his nephew. Mm-hmm. I suppose is the basic premise, but um, it it sounded really good. I'm I'm pretty excited to see that movie. Okay, yeah. so that's that's also getting some some buzz there like as a potential oscar nominee for best picture so all right yeah there's a number of those i i want to watch like that i'm really excited actually to watch i i really want to see that denzel francis mcdormand uh Macbeth. like yeah it it looks like i watched the trailer it looks like something like straight out of fucking bergman and i'm i'm really excited about that yeah all right, That's so cool. what movies do you watch other than that? Uh, so two really briefly that I'd like to talk about. Um, and these are movies that are 
good movies, but would probably never be. I, I don't know what podcast they would ever go on. Um, the first one is a dollar ninety nine to rent on Amazon Prime, and it's a movie called The Stone Tapes. Um, it's a. I don't even know if you would call it. It's it's a sort of horror, like maybe a folk gothic sci-fi horror um from the early 70s british movie okay. uh, very much like doctor who-esque production um but it's about this group of um inventors and scientists that work in the audio field that have been kind of moved to this old english country estate so they can work in secret on some um some project to beat the the Japanese at their own game of like high quality audio production. Um, and it turns out that the, the estate is haunted. Um, so they start to investigate the haunting through like a more scientific method um, and approach it in the same way that like um, an, an audio tape, like a, you know, magnets can record sound that maybe it's the stones in the house are recording. Yeah, yeah. It's an actual theory in paranormal investigations. Like I, I was wondering if that was related to it. Okay. Yeah. Like um, the, stone, the stone tape theory is that like uh, ghosts are basically like almost like a video recording. Like, yeah. That resonate. Yeah. So that's, that's the theory here. This, that that's the um, crux of the movie. So it's, it's cheesy in the sense that it's an early 70s British production. So while the special effects are, in my opinion, good for the time, it's still from a 2021 perspective is going to seem somewhat silly. But the sincerity of the approach of the scientific method that these people use and then the actual performances of the characters are actually are, are, are pretty compelling. And I thought it was a really good, really well done thoughtful and in the end somewhat insightful and kind of universally chilling ending sort of as opposed to just being a traditional victorian ghost movie it was very much a modern um understated scare sort of at the end um so like i said it's a dollar 99 um severin video is going to be releasing it on blu-ray in a collection of world horror movies that comes out i think so i think it's out now that's pretty comprehensive for many countries but it has a large portion of these sort of lost british films um so if you have the chance to watch it in some capacity i would say it's i think like 80 some minutes maybe um it's definitely worth a watch especially if you're kind of a fan of like the older horror um, so i'm probably not selling it to you too well but um yeah, really good performances. And again, like I did, I had no idea about that theory, but they sort of explain it in a way where it's like they're discovering the theory. So that's kind of a cool approach, I think, to the. Yeah, it's based on a real life thing. Hmm. I didn't know that. I read nothing. I mean, about I mean they it. may, may, they may be like adapted and dramatized some things more, but like it's based off a real life thing where the the stone tape is like that whole thing. I think is like to some degree. Like something that really happened and they developed a theory out of it that you know right the, like ghosts are basically just repeated recordings uh it's the oh shit i can't remember i'm too out of my paranormal stuff like right now um which i never talk about anyway with like anybody other than like maybe you uh 
and but uh oh it's like the idea of like that hauntings are not intelligent they're simply like you know these repetitious things i can't remember the term they use for in the paranormal community but yeah basically it's that's the stone tape theory is that it's just almost energy that's been recorded and like is just doing the same thing over and over um residual that's the word they use residual hauntings yeah that's it yeah and but that that was the original theory was the stone tape theory so um worth watching Cool. Yeah, I'm reading now that it was based on uh, some 19th century intellectualists and psychic researchers' um, ideologies. Uh, so the other movie that I watched, and I kind of told you about this and told you to watch it, is free on YouTube. It's a movie called Black Rainbow. Rosanna um, Arquette and uh, Jason Robards star, right. along with, um, crap, I can't remember his name now. Uh, the guy that plays Amadeus in um, Amadeus. Right, right. Yeah. Um, very much a low-key. Have you watched it yet? No, actually, I need you, if you can find it, to send me the link for that. Because when I try to search it, all I'm finding is, like, trailers. And, like, no matter oh, what I do. You know where I You know where I saw it? I'm sorry. It's not free on YouTube. It's free for Frank. <laughs> um, awesome. Right. So it's on a service called Arrow that i subscribe to mm-hmm. that's uh art house slash mondo horror basically it, it, it takes stuff that's lesser known or they do a lot of restoration of older horror movies that have kind of fallen by the wayside um they've actually done some pretty amazing restorations of some movies uh so that's my plug for arrow i think i pay like 4.99 a month for it um yeah okay i've looked at this before you mentioned it on a quick cage one time because like i marked out over all these um when i looked it up i marked out over all the different uh covers to these movies and shit like that oh yeah they they have this amazing art department that does these fantastic like revisionist covers for these Mm -hmm. movies for their thumbnails it's it's there's some really like shitty fly-by-night horror services that you can subscribe to that are basically just all the same thing but arrow is the real deal um, I like it actually even better than Shutter, honestly, um, in terms of the curation they do and how deep they pull their movies from. So you'll. Yeah, I'm assuming I'll have to subscribe to this at some point next year when we cover all the 70s stuff. Like, it's my guess. Yeah, we can. Um, not that I would ever share a subscription at any service with anyone because <laughs> they'll be depriving a company of their just deserved those um, capitalists. income. But I can't share it with you because I think I subscribed to it through Amazon. It's it's through Amazon, yeah. Everything's through Amazon with you now because you're a capitalist. Yeah, the best kind. Hmm. Um, So the movie is about a medium who communicates with the deceased um, for the benefit of they heard that's the um, Arquette character. uh, Robards is her father and they travel town to town, kind of like charlatans almost. Again, this is like power of the dog this is a movie that's very much in the flannery o'connor um vein of familial relationships and kind of like the way that it views small towns and whatnot um and instead of and she's a legitimate medium like they never portray it that it's a scam or anything i mean she legitimately in the movie is talking to the dead um but instead of talking to the dead she starts talking to the living who are about to die 
Um, so her power kind of changes, and then that's where the crux of the movie comes. Um, really early performance by Rosanna Arquette, and she's pretty phenomenal in it. Uh, it's it's a very sad, very melancholy performance um, of a person that's resigned to a life that they don't want, that they can't control. Um, Robards is super powerful in it as the father. Um, so those two as your primary characters, it's it's pretty eminently watchable just because of that. Um, the story is really interesting because it never devolves into the common ghost tropes of movies from like the 70s and 80s. Um, it always stays a little more high-minded, like even though it never throws any doubt on the fact that what her power is is supernatural, it also never tries to over-explain it or over-mystify it. I mean, it's just kind of it's a characteristic of a character as opposed to being the entire character, you know, in and of itself. And then just some interesting twists and kind of a good um, surprising ending. The last 20 minutes has some, some really interesting twists to it. But um, if you subscribe to arrow or if you have any interest in, um, you know, just watching like a good, gothic suspense thriller uh it's definitely worth the the 90 minutes of your time and that's it those are my two sorry as me and myself you can't hear that helicopter it sounds like it's right over top of the house can't i do hear not hear it okay i'm All really right. i'm really trying and i don't okay so i had myself mute and I, I did talk to you but yeah, no, uh, now that it makes sense that I, I don't have access to it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll check that out at some point. It sounds really interesting. I'll, I'll check that other movie out at some point as well. After I have more free money through like YouTube after Christmas. Uh, and I feel like spending a few extra dollars. But yeah, because <clears throat> it's not $1.99 anymore. It's like, what, two twenty four or something like oh, that. Oh, no. They, they charge everybody's no they're charging tax, tax on everything now right. because they charge tax on everything streaming now fucking assholes capitalists i swear the, these, cover, these covers are so great though these yeah. these covers are really good the uh the ringu collection i love the fucking um ringu collection those are beautiful cover. yeah um these, they're so good there's one for Django too that i fucking love that i saw yeah they they do it for everything and it's like yeah it's really good. When I first subscribed to it, it was kind of on a whim. You know what it was? They debuted a movie. I can't remember what it was called, but I had read about it. And Arrow was going to be the only place you could see it for like six months. So they financed and debuted this movie. And I figured, fuck it, like $5 or whatever to subscribe to the service. You know, I'll just like cancel after a month. But I found that at least once or twice a week, I watch a movie on there. And they always surprise. They consistently update there's always something new that's interesting that either you've never heard of or you thought you'd never see or they've restored some print from like a found 35 millimeter original that looks beautiful mm. i watched another movie on there the other day and then this will then i'm i'm seriously done um called like death screams or something like that mm -hmm. and it's this weird ass slasher movie from i think like 86 that has almost no violence for the first like 70 minutes hmm. it's just these really terrible characters interacting with each other in the summer 
And like it, it's crazy because you're so annoyed watching it, but you realize that that investment pays off when they all get fucking slaughtered. Like it's, it's so satisfying. Oh, so it's Wolf Creek. Funnier than Wolf Creek. <laughs> it doesn't take itself as seriously. Like there's some, I know you don't agree with my opinion on Wolf Creek, but um, I don't. <clears throat> that's, an, so that's another thing is I watched the, the guy that plays the killer in Wolf Creek. Uh-huh. I watched a trilogy of his movies this week where he fights um, evil alligators. Yeah, in, in your quest to learn everything you can about Australian film. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm watching them Dude, all. The, I, there's tons of damn documentaries that I would just throw it on the background and watch on Arrow as well. They, they oh got yeah, tons of cool shit on here. Like yeah, the, it's they they're they're basically like it's it's a similar setup to the Criterion Collection. The way that they curate their site mm-hmm. and you know you can go to 70s 80s slasher yep. movies westerns they have this modern cult section that's all stuff for, from the past 10 to 20 years that's from directors that you might not know we're up and coming directors and i mean seriously you just every every saturday or saturday or sunday morning depending on when i have the most time I go to Arrow, I flip through and see what was added during the week, and I pick one thing and I just watch it, and nine times out of ten, I'm satisfied. Do they have a re- restored cut of Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling, which is one of his early saw movies? saw that, yeah. Um, that's beautiful. Like, it's one of the most gorgeous restored prints of a early 70s Italian giallo I've ever seen, and it looks amazing, like, the way that he filmed it. Yeah. It's pretty crazy um, when you consider the excesses of his later work like to watch something like that and just how impressive it was to be filmed so yeah nice that's what i got well i don't have anything good to say about my movie so i won't spend that much time doing this so i had never watched black dahlia before Mm. and i finally watched it this is a 2006 adaptation of a james elroy novel the first in a quartet of novels that includes the much not even much better the 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 you know masterpiece that's la confidential it include the 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 book series that already writes includes that this is the first novel in that quartet and this movie is adapted you know 10 years later roughly nine years later i guess and is directed by brian de palma and this movie is fucking terrible it is dull plotting you spend the first 35 minutes learning about the three principal characters when you could have condensed that down into probably about 12 minutes and i don't understand what the hell the scriptwriter was thinking out of this i, I didn't even look him up josh friedman what has he done when he did war of the worlds oh he did chain reaction that was his uh first movie mm. uh, you know, um, Reeves, um, yeah. Oh, he did Dark Fate, that was a bad movie. Uh, he did Avatar 2 whenever that comes out. So, but it basically he did Black Dahlia, then he did Terminator Dark Fate after that. So, that is a uh, 13 year gap out uh, between scripts. He is also an, a writer and executive producer on. Oh, Lock and Key. That's the original Lock and Key that they were doing years ago and did not 
get picked up, not the the new lock and key, which is also terrible. That new lock and key. <clears throat> the TV so, show. Yeah, it's bad. Really, everybody tells me I should watch it. Oh, it's oh, it's it's real bad. It's like a CW version of Lock and Key. Bless you. Thank you. CW version. CW version of Lock and Key. Nice. That's what that's what it's like. It is. I, I Brandy and I couldn't take this. We we watched the first season and then we started watching the second season. We got two episodes in, and then I remembered right. I was bitching about this show for the f- second half of the first season and how bad it was. And she was like, I'm getting to the point I don't want to watch this with you anymore. <laughs> but then she came around to my side when we started rewatching, when we started watching the second season. And she was like, this is terrible. I was like, see, I told you. So anyway, it's really bad. This movie is probably not as bad as that, but it's not good. It is, it's, it's dull plotting. It's a phone, like not even a phone. In, he's trying, I think, Josh Harnett, but it's just not that good. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it's yeah, him and Aaron was... Eckert and yeah. Scarlett Johansson. And, and Johansson's the best part of it, probably. Like, Eckert's, like, serviceable <clears throat> in the role. But for playing the role that he is and the way that... It, none of it fits my imagination of that book whatsoever. I think it's a really poor adaptation, both as a film product and as an adaptation. Like, I just think it's, like, not good. And... Like it's the it's the tacked on part of the quartet, so it's really not that important. You can start with um the one before LA Confidential, which is escaping me right now. But so you can start with that and just read that LA Confidential and is it uh, White, White Jazz. White Jazz. White Jazz is the third one. Is <clears throat> uh yeah, I can't remember the name of it. I always forget it. I always want to call it it's like the Red Scare or something like that. But that's that's that, that's too on too on the nose. It's not that, but yeah, not good. I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that I wasted two hours and 20 minutes of my life on a late De Palma trash movie. And the other movie that I watched, which was a much more enjoyable experience, but still a really bad movie is RIPD. Oh my God. HBO max right now. And only because you and I this weekend were talking about the possibilities of a list next year for the summer. I, and and I was like, I don't know what that movie is. And then I saw it on HBO max and I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. And I watched this movie. So RIPD is stands in for rest in peace department. It is Mm -hmm. a like supernatural buddy comedy from 2012 or 13 or something like that that was like released as like hopefully as a summer blockbuster and it has jeff bridges and ryan reynolds and kevin bacon and mary louise parker in it and the principles are bridges and reynolds reynolds ends up getting turned on by his partner early on in this movie because they found some gold (laughs) fucking ridiculous they find some gold on a bust and Bacon's his partner. Bacon on turns a bust? on it on a bust. Bust. Oh, that makes more sense. They 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 bust a they bust a, a con a perp. Gotcha, and, gotcha, gotcha. And then they <laughs> they find this gold, and there's like whether they want to turn in the gold. And Ryan Reynolds wants to turn in the gold, and Kevin Bacon's like, yeah, you're right. We should probably turn in the gold. And then they go go on another bust 
this time of like some kind of meth dealer and Kevin Bacon's like, I'm just fucking with you. I'm going to shoot you with machine gun and kill you. But he does, but the, but he's wearing a bulletproof vest. So like he took the machine gun doesn't kill him. Cause he just shoots him in the chest for some reason. He, but, it, but they're in a warehouse and he falls over an edge and, and then falls down like five stories and breaks his fucking neck. So were they on consecutive bus? Uh, so there, a- there, there was a bu- there was a bust previous to the start of the movie where they found gold. That's backstory. Like you only find it out in the locker room where they're like talking about whether they should turn the gold in, and Reynolds is like, "I think we should turn it in. Like this isn't right." And Kevin Bacon's like, "Damn it, Nick, you're right." And he's like, and Nick's like hey you can do what you want like you know i'm not trying to pressure you and he's like when you're right you're right but then he's not right because when they go on the bust to get the meth dealer he's like yeah you know what i was i was lying to you i got you in this position to kill you and then he like shoots him in the chest with a fucking like uzi not not even uzi no it's like a ak-47 or some shit it's like some kind of ridiculous machine gun that doesn't even make sense that cops would have and he like shoots him with it and then he falls five stories to his death in this warehouse and breaks his neck. So he wakes up in like this other dimension, basically, where because he was a cop and he has the skills that they need, Mary Louise Parker, who is like this kind of angel character, like brings him into the RIPD, which is the rest in peace department, right. where there's all of these like basically like they call deados but they're like kind of like the ghosts but bad ghosts like almost it's a very um peter jackson movie. frighteners frighteners-esque yes and so anyway That's the impression i got in the trailers but yeah. anyway go ahead so anyway jeff bridges is an old cowboy from dodge city or some shit and like he's been with the ripd forever and he's his mentor and they go on adventures and Ryan Reynolds is really fucking wilding out as he's trying to figure out this new life and everything. Like, you know, what's going on? This is all crazy. But then his ex-partner is actually a Deto. You find out and hijinks ensue. It's a real bad movie. But Kevin it's like, Bacon's a Deto? Yeah, Kevin Bacon's a secret Deto. Yeah. I always knew it. Yep. So anyway, and then his ex-wife's involved and shit. And, oh, and then like the, the biggest like comedy spot like that's repeated at nauseum in this movie is that you have IDs when you're in the RIPD for the real world because the real the real world can still see you, but they can't see you because you're dead. So you have these IDs, and um, uh what the fuck is that actor's name that played uh the, the, the david lopan um in damn it i don't remember his name james hong james hong is like a fam- famous chinese actor that like has been in everything he he's actually it's one of i think it's one of his last roles he is the ID for Ryan Reynolds' character. So when Ryan Reynolds goes and talks to people in the real world, he looks like James Hong. He looks like an old Chinese man. 
so as he's like trying to like communicate with like his his wife who you know now that he's dead like he just keeps showing up as this chinese guy old chinese guy that's like stalking her but jeff bridges character this like rugged like dude that like you know lived in dodge city he's like this buxomy blonde like character whose like breasts are hanging out all the time so it's like the 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 idea is like you keep seeing like the like them as those characters sometimes for effect where this you know big breasted blonde in a dress and you know high heels is talking like somebody from the old west and ryan reynolds is exasperated as an old chinese man so that's the that's the that's does he the, still sound like ryan reynolds uh no no it's actually those actors that are playing the that IDs are talking. that are actually talking but right. they're using the same language that those characters the you know so if they're allowed to go back and talk to their loved ones that are still alive yeah it's a bad idea though what's the purpose of changing their appearance so they don't look like who they look like um because you that is that is dealt with in a line of dialogue is a couple lines of dialogue where jeff bridges tells him that it's a bad idea and it doesn't come of any good and the reason that you can't show up as yourself is because the universe knows it's a bad idea and who can figure out the universe they know better the universe knows better <laughs> that's 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 how they deal with that good logic it's a really really bad movie okay but yeah, it so, was yeah. it was enjoyable in how bad to some degree to some degree it was enjoyable in how bad it was unlike how black dahlia black dahlia was just the drizzling shits so let me say this to you um never seen either of these movies mm-hmm. both movies that i've paused over a number of times and thought should i watch this movie this time like uh-huh. I, i've never seen this so maybe i should watch it so thank you for reaffirming my reticence to ever hit play and now i never will so i appreciate it you're welcome um i'll take the hit on that like i mean you are the one that watches the shittiest movies even though it really should be me (laughs) watching the shittiest movies well look i have watched i mean i've probably watched a number uh, in the past week i've watched a lot of movies but most of them have been podcast movies so every once in a while like i try to take a break uh, from that and depending on what i'm doing that night uh sometimes they end up being really shitty but yeah. black dahlia i thought could have been good potentially when i started to watch it i just had never sat down to actually watch i had only seen a couple scenes here and there on like whatever tv back in the day but um i thought maybe it could be good it wasn't and r.i.p.d i knew it would be bad but at least it was, it was. someone in yeah, it was, but it was at least right. it was somewhat enjoyable and how bad it was. It was like a bad version of like Men in Black, and and Men, Men yeah, that's what it not, looked like. And Men in Black's not, not all that. So, but um, but yeah, but old Ryan Reynolds, he just turns them out, man, and just keeps going and still looks the same fucking age. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds is the poor man's Paul Rudd in a lot of ways so paul red doesn't age either apparently yeah a guy that will look the same and maybe even younger right 
until the end of time and will continue to play the exact same role in almost every movie that he's in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a funny thing going around on TikTok now of, and, and, and somebody did apparently one and did like a survey of it is that straight men when asked how, how attractive Ryan Reynolds is, will give an answer between eight and 10 and um, gay and bi men will answer seven or less. And that was like the claim that was made in this video that like went viral. And then somebody went and did a study of people that they know and did up a spreadsheet and everything. And it was largely proven correct is that for some reason, like, you know, I guess gay men see through... Um, the facade of the Ryan Reynolds attractiveness where straight men think that that's what is considered attractive in some ways. I think the whole thing was about like how, like most people can, what people consider attractive is not really attractive. Well, or that it's subjective based on your own Could personal be. opinions. Sure. And, Could be. Yeah. Um, do you know my theory about Ryan Reynolds? We may not have ever talked about this because it's controversial. What's that? Um, I think that at one point in like 1997, um, Ryan Reynolds like made some dark pact to basically banish Jason Lee from Hollywood and like the universe. Like, so you could never talk about Jason Lee again yeah, because they're basically the same actor, but Jason mm -hmm. Lee's more charismatic and ryan reynolds just disposed of him or murdered him perhaps i mean i'm not going to do any research to see if jason lee is alive um i i have a more controversial opinion that might get me killed is that i think jason lee made that pact when he joined scientology jason lee's a scientologist yes oh that's disappointing yeah i like jason lee a lot in Mallrats and yeah. That weird rom-com that he's in, where he basically wears the same sports coat that he wears in Mallrats, but it's like a slightly different story. Uh... I always knew Jason Lee as a skater in the right. mid-90s. Sure. Um, I mean, he's kind also of like good in a... Chasing Amy, too. Is that Kissing a Fool? Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, also, he's in... Um, a video a sonic youth video he had like skating in the background um but i was always like super right. impressed with jason lee and i always liked him and i think he has really good comedic yeah. timing and i think that his vocal delivery is similar to ryan reynolds but i find him more relatable oh they, they um, yeah they have a lot of a lot of crossover yeah absolutely but then as a result i think it's made me like ryan reynolds more which is why i think he was the one that made the dark pact because it transferred my love of Jason Lee to him. Um, okay. And obviously it's my opinion that matters. Uh, we're going to play like a really quick little game. It's going to take like two minutes at most. Then we'll finish up. All right. Hold on. I just gotta, I just gotta pull some shit up here. Um, we're going to, damn it. Wrong link. All right. So, I want, I'm going to name a movie, and I want you to tell me, was it Jason Lee or Ryan Reynolds that was in the movie, okay? 
Okay. Stealing Harvard. Jason Lee. Good job. I've seen that movie. <laughs> um, Just Friends. That's Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Smoking Aces. I think that's Ryan Reynolds. It is. Good job. The Ballad of Jack and Rose. Jason Lee. Yep. Um, voice work in Monster House. Monster House is Jason Lee. Or um, Ryan Reynolds. No, you're right the first time. It's Jason Lee. Oh, man. <laughs> um, voice work in Alvin and the Chipmunks. That's Ryan Reynolds. Nah, it's Jason Lee. Really? Yeah. This is what Scientology gets you. <laughs> Van Wilder. That's Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Very good. good That's right. Is that Ryan Reynolds' debut role? No. Nah, it's early, early in his it's, career. It's early, it's early in his career. It's 97 it, it, is Van Wilder or 98? 2002. Oof. Yeah. Where's life gone? I know. It's crazy. So yeah, it's it's noticeable. Like, it, what's really interesting is like that. Oh, Green Lantern was two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay, man. Okay, never mind. Like, so I don't even know how Ryan Reynolds became Ryan Reynolds. That's that's this is too complex. This is like a fucking chart or something. I it was to um, out like how how this happens. It was waiting. Waiting is what did it? Yeah, you're right. Waiting is a movie where everyone was like, "Oh man, this movie's hilarious," and yeah. because of the time. When, like, and, but he's doing Jason Lee shtick in that, right? I always called Ryan Reynolds the poor man's Jason Lee, and then again, packed with the devil, and now I just like Ryan Reynolds. So <laughs> I'm also going to tell you something. When you played that game with me, I've probably seen. 90% of the output of both of those men so I know what movies they're in. I've watched a lot of Jason Lee and Ryan Reynolds movies. Oh, hold on. Sometimes. We got, hold on. I, I I misspoke here. Hold on. We got to... We gotta, I got to make a correction. So, let me read this. Personal life. Um, Lee married photographer Carmen Lewin. They divorced in 95. They divorced in 2001. Later cited Lee's commitment to Scientology as principal cause for their separation. She wrote that their relationship collapsed when she revealed to her talent manager and fellow Scientologist, Gay Rabisi, mother of Giovanni Rabisi, that she had read a piece of blue sky in an anti-Scientology book. Two days after her conversation with Rabisi, Lewin received a one-paragraph disconnection letter from Lee and was labeled a suppressive person. Then he married. Oh, this is disappointing. Uh, he married Beth um, Riesgraf, um, who had a primary role in uh, Leverage, that show with Timothy Hutton. Um, they have a son together. Uh, pilot Inspector. Lee states his son's name was inspired. He's simple. He's dumb. He's the pilot, which is a song by Granddaddy. Mm, yeah. And apparently their divorce and got married again in 2008 and they have a fucking daughter named Casper. Um, 
Never mind. Is she a friendly I, ghost? And then as of 2016, sorry, <laughs> maybe. Oh, they have a second son named Sonny. Um, nice. and then, oh, and then a third child named fucking Alberta Birdie Lee. Um, that was fucking Alberta Birdie Lee. That is <laughs> well, quite the name. I, I, the third daughter just came out of nowhere in this. He, as of 2016, sorry though, he no longer practices in Scientology. He learned, nice. he, he currently resides in Crum, Texas with his family. He enjoys photography and he's the co owner of the restaurant Barley and Board. And I'm down with all that. I like all that information. Now he played Brody in the reboot from a few couple of years ago of Jalen Silent Bob. What is that? Do I know anything about that? He did a movie like in 2019. It was like Jay and Silent Bob reboot. They basically re- redid the entire movie. Really? Yeah. I never Have we ever talked about this. Nah. I've never seen it. You know, yeah, I've never seen it. Like, um, and then he did a voice in 2024. We Bear Bears, the movie. Nice. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, he's in some kind of TV show here. Oh, it's a streaming. He's given a voice to something on Paramount Plus called The Harper House. Oh, We Bear Bears is, is a TV show that ran from 2015 to 2019, apparently. So he's doing voice work and that's about it. So yeah, no longer a Scientologist, but he was for quite a while. So, but correction, don't want to impugn the reputation of Jason Lee. Well, for a very brief period of time, I love Jason Lee. So, I did too. I think I still love Jason Lee, like despite whatever. Mm. Like, um, kind of fucked up that his wife was labeled as present person. He was like, "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> but um, yeah. All right. So this is. I don't know. I don't know if this is our last bonus episode before the spin chagrin or not. Um. <gasps> You're not supposed to reveal the title. Well, spoilers. Um, Nobody's made. What is it? No, Easter has. Hello, Easter. Hi, Easter. If anybody else has, I would love to know. But otherwise, hello, Easter. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. And and seriously, go watch. Not the Temple of the Dog. The Power of the Dog. Uh, uh, Please, because it's a really good movie. If if you're if you like movies. So, all right. Thank you for listening. Yep. Have a good night. Deuces.